Hi, Juliet the Rabbi here, coming to you from New York City. I'm back in New York City. It's been oh, just a beautiful week after the heat of last week. It was impossible last week, and this week we had a cold front coming through. Oh my God, what a relief that has been, right? Am I right? If you live in New York or on the East Coast, then you know what I'm talking about. Or maybe even in the Midwest, it's like, yeah, it's amazing. A few days of relief. Well, um, so this week I'm going to talk about um, ACAF and this whack that I got on my head. The other day I was in the park and somebody whacked me on the side of my head. It was a kid carrying a stick. He didn't use the stick, just his hand. I had just passed these two young boys as they ran up behind a woman. And she'd spun around really quickly just as they reached her and gave them a menacing look. And they backed off. And I was like, oh, okay, these are kind of harmless boys. I don't know. They were. They were. They were harmless. Um, They were young teenagers, like, I don't know, 13 years old, maybe. And so I kept walking and I was like, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen now. But I, so I was very conscious of how I carried myself. I didn't want to look weak, didn't want to be a victim. And then I heard, sure enough, I heard footsteps racing up from behind me. And one on either side, one child on either side of me. And I stiffened. But in a casual way, as I maintained my stride, I decided not to turn around. I didn't want to look afraid, and I wasn't afraid of them. No way. They wouldn't dare, I was thinking to myself, the way I'm carrying myself. But one of them hit me on the side of the the head just as he skidded by. And, oh my God, I I was kind of in shock. These were these little pipsqueaks as far as I was concerned. And I would, my, it brought me back to my teenage years, to my early teens, when in junior high school, I used to get beat up like almost every day, like several times a week. I had fights, physical fist fights with black kids who would attack, who were like jealous and angry and saw saw me as me and my brother and sister they saw us as these you know like we must be rich because we're white and you could tell and whatever I mean we weren't rich we went to public school but you know there are all these whatever we represented to them they were very angry and our parents tried to help me understand help to help us understand what it was you know where this was coming from that we shouldn't be angry we should understand But we also had to defend ourselves. So I learned how to be tough. And I was going to show these kids. And I yelled out at them. I was like, what the fuck? And they stopped and looked at me. Maybe I shocked them a little bit. And one of them goes, sorry, it was an accident. And, And I was like, oh, really? Yeah, he pushed me. I'm sorry. I said I was sorry. And of course, I knew he was making it up. It was just this weird mix of this young innocence. And also, like, he could somehow fool me, fool the white lady, fool the teacher. I don't know. And this hardened, like, it was like this, the beginning of a hardening kind of meanness. And I just turned silently and kept walking. I did not 
accept their apology. I didn't say anything. I just kept, I felt like I was keeping my dignity just by walking away. And no real damage had been done. My glasses were still on my face. Nothing was broken, but I was really shaken. My heart was beating hard. I was angry. And, you know, I mean, it's a feeling of utter helplessness. But I was a teacher. I'd seen and experienced as much and more than this. Once, when I was really pushed to the limit, I grabbed this kid almost twice my size by the collar. The kid had threatened me and I was having none of it. I pulled his collar up close to his neck, close around his neck, and I slammed him against a wall. I was pregnant. My belly was huge. And I had, I, I just snapped. And the chairman of the department was there. This was high school. And he witnessed the whole thing. I mean, I could have gotten myself fired. And I'm pretty sure that the chairman gave me a pass because I was pregnant, very pregnant. And because he knew me, he knew that I was this nice, caring, dedicated teacher. I was the one who would never give up on any child. I didn't believe in punishment. I carried the weight of society's ills on my shoulders. But when you don't have time to think and you're scared and you're angry, you say stupid things. As I walked away from these kids in the park this week, I yelled out, go find something more productive to do. I was embarrassed for myself as soon as these words came out of my mouth. What was there? I mean, what a stupid white lady thing to say. It sounded like my mother. (laughs) I was like, really productive? Like, how are they supposed to find something more productive to do? Really? What was there for them to do? These are black kids. They're poor. They live in the city. There's not much to do. The public pool in our neighborhood, as a matter of fact, is closed for renovation. It will be back, but you know, what is there? There's a lack of public pools and it's currently one of the problems. I, this week, I happened to also read an article in the New York Times about the, the lack of public pools in the United States. The title of the article, if you want to find it, is When It Comes to Swimming, Why, why Have Americans Been Left on Their Own? Um... I learned about the, from this article, I learned about the public health crisis of drowning in this country. It's really real. And I had, I knew nothing about it. Black children are the most likely victims because they don't know how to swim. They don't have access to pools and they don't have access to affordable swimming lessons for kids. And it's just pools have become a private thing. Um, There used to be, apparently, according to this article, really interesting, there used to be many, many pools and with huge capacity. I saw pictures of them. I could not believe what I saw. It's in the article. You'll see pictures. And this was especially true in big cities. But most of these pools, these cities, these towns, chose to close their doors during the civil rights movement. It was better than integrating them. They shut them down. With summers getting hotter, 
This is a real issue, as this article points out, especially for the poor who have no air conditioning. It's their only relief. And so they go off and they they end up swimming in swimming holes and getting into the Bronx River and, you know, I'm talking and anywhere, right? Like anywhere they can. And there's nobody there to save them. And the waters are dirty. They're murky. And even if there were somebody there to save them, they, they wouldn't be able to find them. So my comment to these children in the park was, utterly stupid and I knew it as soon as it came out of my mouth like I said I was so embarrassed for myself but the teacher in me wanted to make a difference in this week's Parsha Akav Moses speaks to the Israelites as he does over and over again he says what does God command you only this to revere your God and to walk in God's paths What should we do besides this? He says, cut away the thickness around your hearts and stiffen your necks no more. News came this week about the shooter that attacked the Pittsburgh synagogue five years ago. He will get the death penalty. Anti-Semitism is not to be tolerated. It was decided he should die for his crime. But will this do anything to solve the problem of anti-Semitism? Will any of society's ills be solved through this kind of punishment? Or through any kind of punishment for that matter? When are we going to get beyond this? Has it ever worked? Long after I had left those boys in the park, I continued to reflect on what I had said and what I could have said. Maybe I should have said, you keep this up, you'll end up getting shot by a racist cop. Or you'll join the ranks of the mass incarcerated. I don't know if it would have made a difference. Maybe if it had even, maybe, I don't even know if it would have given them pause, even for a moment. Later in the day, I encountered them again. Are you still picking on people, I asked. He started with me, one of the boys defended himself. Like he was pointing at, the man who he had been picking on. Like, what? (laughs) I shook my head and just walked away. Either way, they'll end up as just one more statistic in a society of crusted over hearts. That's what it seems to me. Towards the end of the Parsha, Moses quotes God again. He says, if we do not love God with all our heart, if we do not follow God's paths, The rains will not come in their time, and the the land will not yield its richness, its food. We're supposed to impress these words upon our, our very heart. As we experience increasing temperatures and wacky weather more and more, we're clearly missing something. This is why we are to bind God's words as a sign on our hands, let them serve As a symbol on our forehead, teach these words to our children, recite them at home and on our way. When we lie down and when we get up, we are to inscribe them on our doorposts and on our gates. Because we're clearly missing something and we need to reinterpret these words for our time. What are they 
what are we supposed to be doing? How should we do things differently? May we find a way to do things differently. And it starts with each of us doing our own work, our own softening of our hearts, taking away, removing the crusts that of our hearts and, and the stiffness of our necks. And may it be so. Shabbat Shalom. And until next week. Bye. Oh, go to my website, realrabbinyc.com. Make a donation. Check out all the other things that I do, that I offer. It's all there. Thanks. Bye.